Hey gang, I think you know that Isaiah 53 is the most messianic passage in the entire Old Testament. It's called a suffering servant, and it's about a description about who Jesus is and what he did. I'm only going to lift one small portion of that out of Isaiah 53, really only a half a verse, but I'm going to read you a whole verse. I'm going to read you verse 2, and it reads like this. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should should desire him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Now guys, what did Jesus look like? Was he tall or was he short? Was he white or was he black or something in between? Um, did, he, um, did he have long hair, short hair? Did he have a beard? Um, or was he clean shaven? Folks, the reason I start like that is because about the only passage that you get anywhere in the Bible that gives you anything about Jesus's physical uh, appearance is what I just read you out of Isaiah 53 verse 2 the second half that's the only thing that we're ever told about what Jesus looks like and what it states in summary is that outwardly he was quite unimpressive There was no form, no loveliness, no beauty that would make us turn our heads if we saw him. In in fact, guys, the Bible seems quite reticent to give us details about the physical characteristics of the Bible characters. There's very little given us to tell us um, whether Adam was tall or short, whether Eve was a blonde or brunette. Or whether Cain was, you know, swarthy and and Abel was fair, or was it the opposite? Uh, whether Abraham had that that big beard that you always see in in uh, Sunday school Bible stories, or whether Moses looks more like Charlton Heston or Dwayne Johnson, guys. Um, when it, when the Bible got ready to give us any details at all about people's physical appearance it usually left us it really it didn't give us much Uh, women are described as beautiful but you're never told what color hair they had or what color their eyes were Um, Saul the first king of Israel he was described as a handsome man and a man who apparently was tall because from his shoulders to the top of his head he was taller than anybody else in Israel but that's all we know Um, David David is described as being ruddy now what does that mean or he was uh, a very handsome lad apparently he had a beard we know that David had a beard because when he was running from Achish of Gaul we're told that when he tried to uh, act like he was insane the saliva uh, from his mouth (laughs) ran down his beard so he had a beard but that's it that's about all we know about how people looked 
in the scriptures. Um, and as I said, about the only thing that you get on the a description of Jesus' appearance was that he was outwardly very unimpressive. But that has not stopped people from giving us their own rendition about what they think or thought that Jesus looked like. The most famous of all of the renditions is one called the Salmon Head. I want to show it to you. Uh, there it is, the Salmon Head. That was painted by Werner Salmon in 1940. You can see Jesus looking off to the left and his eyes are kind of cut to heaven. He's got this little sheepish look on his face and, and almost like he's, um, like he's in trouble with his father. Um, that was painted by an American artist in 1940, and it's one that most of us have seen before, and, and perhaps our concept of what Jesus looks like is, is determined by something like that. Where, where did Solomon, where did he get that information? Well, I've got a suggestion. I'll give it to you in a minute. But you've all also seen that picture of Jesus in that long white robe standing at the door and knocking and a lot is made about the door doesn't have a knob on the outside and you got to open it from the inside and all that business. You've seen that one. But perhaps second to only those two is, um, is a painting done that, was done that was done in the late 1400s by Leonardo da Vinci. And it was da Vinci's The Last Supper. I bet you've seen that. There it is. I'm suggesting to you that um, Mr. Salmon and um, the other painter of the Jesus at the Door got most of their information about what Jesus looked like from this late 1400s painting by da Vinci. Where did da Vinci get that? The Bible doesn't give you that information. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, this, I think, is the, the source of the other two. This painting is so terribly inaccurate. You didn't know that, didn't you? I mean, for instance, they're seated at a table, but the Bible says that they reclined. It doesn't say that they were had a table, at least as a, a table as we know one. And, and, and then, ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me show you this, which is just another piece of the inaccuracy. Do you see that? That's a woman. And there were no women in the upper room at the Last Supper. It was Jesus and the Twelve. But Da Vinci, by the way, if you remember that Da Vinci Code that Tom Hanks made the movie out of in the book and all that business, well, that, that lady right there was part of the unraveling of the mystery or something like that. But there's a woman. In the painting that we all think about when we come to think about this. And it's completely inaccurate. And I want to suggest that the Salmon Head is also completely inaccurate. 
because the Bible goes out of its way not to give you any, or not much, of a description about what the Savior of the world looked like. And that's why I think in so many religious circles, the second commandment is very important. People not creating images of God because they always fall short. But ladies and gentlemen, just like the Bible is almost, not completely, but almost silent when it comes to what the characters look like, and at least in the Lord's Supper, where everybody sat. Gang, there's only one that we know where he sat. Uh, John sat closest to Jesus. That's all we know. So that arrangement up there, nobody knows where the people sat. Um, but just like the, as, as, as dramatic as the silence over people's appearances, the Bible is very clear about the meaning of this sacrament. It gives us clear instructions as to who is to come and who isn't. Guys, anyone who is now trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your payment of your sin, you're invited here. If you've given up on that foolish notion that you can save yourself by your own self-righteousness and that you have seen the weight of your sin and a need for a Savior, then this is, this is for you. Women may not have been at that first Last Supper, but they're invited to this one. They're invited and so are children who understand their need for a Savior. But that's not the only details that the Bible gives us about this meal. It also tells us what this is all about. When the, in the midst of the supper, you, as you know, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body. Well, folks, he wasn't. I mean, everybody in the room knew that he wasn't speaking literally because his body was right there speaking to them. This was a symbol about a body that was broken. And this other one, this cup that was full of wine, and Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. They knew that he wasn't speaking literally because his blood at that moment was still in his veins. But you see, when you put these two things together and you break the body and you spill the blood, what that points to is death. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how you're going to paint this, but I can tell you what it means. It means substitutionary atonement. It means that the innocent has died in the place of the guilty. And ladies and gentlemen, we're the guilty. And the one who has died in our place has had his body broken and his blood shed on our behalf.
Tell me, is that the one to whom you look this morning for your own deliverance from sin? If it is, come, be a part of this sacrament alongside us as you are reminded of the very centerpiece of all of Christianity, the substitutionary sin-bearing of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. Let's pray together. Our Father, indeed, would you remind your people that what we're doing here this morning is not some empty church ritual, but what we're doing is, is a, we're reenacting in a symbolic way that which is the very hope of every sinner, the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so, Father, meet us around this table. Might we find a new clarity of what it is that we're doing, that we be not misled by anything else but this substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ. Might that rule in our hearts and minds this morning. We pray it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.